The only way that God's people move forward is by gaining a clearer vision of the past. We advance our trailblazing mission only by learning to walk ancient paths. Jesus calls us to spread the gospel among all nations and establish local churches. This is a bold mission. It's going to require courageous, trailblazing innovations, adaptations as pioneers in divergent cultures. But we must recognize that the success of a mission is not rooted in forward thinking as such. It is rooted in learning to walk old paths in a new day. Picture in your mind a deep sea diver. This deep sea diver will succeed in oceanic exploration only by remaining tethered to the ship and tethered particularly to that oxygen line that is found on the ship. In like manner, the cause of Christ is only advanced as we remain consciously tethered to the supply line of God's life-giving word and saving acts. We live in a culture that's bent, of course, a very different way. We live in a culture that's obsessed with the novel, with the trendy, with the new, with the evolved. Particularly in such a a setting, particularly in such a culture, let us never forget as God's people that we make progress only as we more fully tether ourselves to what God has done and to what God has promised in the past. We're reminded of this truth in the history of Judas King Josiah. I invite you back to 2 Chronicles in chapter 35. 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Let's remember King Josiah began to seek the Lord at age 16. He was ruling a nation at that time under regents, but ruling a nation that had almost entirely abandoned the worship of God. When he took full possession of the reins of the kingdom at the young age of 20, Josiah led a systematic dismantling of pagan worship throughout the land. Tearing down the altars, tearing down the idols, overseeing the work even through the northern kingdom, and coming back then to the southern kingdom of Judah and to his capital city of Jerusalem, he finished the work in some sense, I think it continued to go forward after this time, But there in Jerusalem also, the place where God had chosen to place His name, there was great trouble. The people had given themselves to the worship of the Canaanite gods. And they're looking around on the hills around Jerusalem where these altars to the pagan gods. What is more, in the temple area itself, there were men worshiping these gods who had set themselves up as cult prostitutes in the temple. And in the temple were altars to false gods. And Josiah cleaned house. He tore down and burned the idols. He evicted the cult prostitutes from the temple courts. And in the process of cleaning out and fixing up the temple for the worship of God, remember, the book of the law was discovered. The book of the covenant the writings of Moses. We don't know why, 
They were lost. We don't know where they were found. But Hilkiah the priest discovered the book of the law. Providentially, God preserved His Word from the kings and officials who would have gladly destroyed it. He ordained that the writings of Moses be found during the administration of a king who would honor it. And upon reading God's revealed Word to Moses, Josiah realized how far the nation had veered from the ancient paths of obedience to the law of God. It should have been a day of great rejoicing. The Scriptures have been found again. In the midst of what would seem to be a revival of God's people, we can now attend again to the Word of God. But it really was a day of sorrow. For Josiah realized it was not just about the moment, but the past history of God's people now for so many decades had turned away from what God had said. Israel had broken covenant with God. So with repentant heart, the king read God's rediscovered words to the people. And in faithfulness to his calling as king, Josiah pressed God's people to renew their covenant with the Lord. The last verse of chapter 34 reads, All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. There's a renewal of the covenant, a renewal of the true worship. There's a, there's a sense in that where there's something that's not quite right. It's all the days of Josiah they did not turn away from following the Lord. There would be great trouble to come. But as we come back to chapter 35, it was apparently by reading the Scriptures that Josiah realized in those 57 years, Grandfather Manasseh, Father Ammon, godless men who turned away from the truth of God in those 57 years and with the loss of the scriptures during that time Israel was in a state of disobedience to God's laws concerning the observance of Passover they had broken covenant with God by not commemorating this festival so as we enter chapter 35 we find Josiah addressing that failure with remarkable zeal once again we read chapter 35 and verse 1 that Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, slaughtering the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. So the book of the law is discovered when Josiah is 26 years of age, we find later, or in chapter 34, verse 8 and 35, 19. This Passover takes place the same year. So Josiah responds quickly and enthusiastically to what he has read in Scripture. Have you ever been there? You read in the Bible something you've really been missing. And you say, it's time to act. It's time for me to bring myself in line with what God has said. That's what he does. What else can you do? If you love the Lord, you love His Word, you know that it is your life, he gets busy about obeying what Israel's not been doing and reinstitutes the nation's observance of Passover. Israel had long ago abandoned interest in following God, let alone observing this festival. So if Israel is to once again honor her covenant with the Lord, Josiah knows that he must bring the nation by taking initiative, by retraining the people, he must bring the nation back to covenant loyalty in the observance of this festival. What was Passover? 
what is Passover, they were asking, and would need to be taught. And we too are a bit distant from it as we don't observe this festival today ourselves as the followers of Christ. But it is a festival we should know about, we should be familiar with on this ancient path. Passover was one of three annual pilgrim festivals to which at least the men of Israel were required to attend in Jerusalem. Four days, we read that earlier in Exodus 12, but four days prior to Passover, families would come together in combinations of smaller families, depending on size, and they would identify a lamb. This is the consecrated lamb. They could substitute a goat if that was preferable. But that lamb would be set aside for some time to be seen as the Passover lamb. This lamb was then ritually slaughtered on the 14th day of Nisan at the temple, the month Nisan, the first month of the liturgical year. The lamb brought to the temple, and on that day, ritually slaughtered, the family would then eat the roasted, they would roast the lamb and then eat it together in a commemorative meal celebrating what? What does Passover remember? It celebrates that time in Egypt where God delivered the nation from Egyptian bondage. So the families would each year, the ideal was what God intended, to annually remember this festival, remember this deliverance through this festival. Now you remember on that night, as we've read earlier, the blood of the Lamb was smeared on the doorway, on the post, on either side of the door, and on the lintel above to mark this family out as one that was protected by the blood of the Lamb from the angel of death that would pass by, taking the life of the firstborn of every son in any home where that blood was not applied. So Passover annually commemorated God's deliverance from bondage, His protection through the blood of this Lamb from the destruction that came that night in Egypt. We are God's people. And so we eat this meal to celebrate that, to remember that, to identify ourselves with the saving purposes of God. Ideally, Israel was to know we have not earned this. It is by grace. It is by God's sovereign choice that He made us His people. It is by His powerful initiative that He delivered us from Egypt. But we eat this meal as our people did then, to remember who we are. As we noted also in Exodus 12, then came the week-long festival of unleavened bread, immediately following Passover. Leaven was removed from homes and only unleavened bread eaten for seven days. Again, to remember that time. There was not time to make bread. And as Israel went out into the wilderness eating unleavened bread as they fled Egypt, it was all to look back in time at God's deliverance of the nation such that the people did not forget who they were today. This is our identity. This past act of God is who we are. And Passover was continually to be remembered so that Israel would not forget. So Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord. The lambs are slaughtered 
On the right day, the 14th day of the first month, verse 2, he then appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. When Josiah came to power, God was not worshipped at the temple. When Josiah came to power, the priesthood was not functional. And so he establishes the priesthood to watch over this work, to serve God's people, appointing them and empowering them, the Hebrew text would indicate, to return to the old paths in a new day, to reestablish this worship. Verse 3, he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Serve the Lord your God and His people, Israel. There are things in this book we don't understand, and that's one of them. What is he talking about? Why does he say this about the ark? Uh, put it in the house of uh, that Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, built. Where was the ark? We, that's the first thing. is We don't know where the ark was. We don't know why he's talking about the ark. And when he says you don't need to put it on your shoulders, what comes to mind is the time when David went that route, and it didn't end very well for us, did it? So you say, what's going on? We don't know. Some have suggested that we amend the text to since the ark is in the house of the Lord. You don't need to move it. That seems rather odd. It could be. certainly doesn't seem that Josiah is disobeying the Lord here, so I think we just have to let it go. Whatever the case is, he's saying this is the situation, however we read that. But what is clear to us is he says, serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. The priests were to do their work and to so serve the people of God. Prepare yourselves, verse 4, according to your father's houses, by your divisions, as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son, and stand in the holy place according to the groupings of the father's houses of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the division of the Levites by father's household, and slaughter the Passover lamb, and consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart as holy, and prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. These are amazing words. And if we, we don't connect with what's taking place, they seem fairly routine. But what's happening is that a reestablishment of the worship of God according to His law. And you note that phrase at the end of verse 6, according to the word of the Lord by Moses. We are going to bring ourselves into conformity to what God has said. And I want you as priests to be reconstituted, to be reinvigorated, to get after the job. All over this land, there have been false priests worshiping false gods. Now, we are going to worship the Lord. Let's see to it. So having, having torn down those high places, having run the false priests out of the temple, having burned the false gods and closed down the place of child sacrifice in the valley that was right there below Jerusalem, Josiah's reform began here at the temple with Passover. We know that his reform did not penetrate the hearts of the nation but he was doing his job. At least in form, Israel was moving forward by orienting backward 
She was thinking back again to what God had done to deliver her. She was conforming to God's written will and would continue to do so as long as Josiah ruled the nation. Israel was once again walking according to the word of the Lord by Moses. So we see here in these first six verses that Josiah is laboring to making preparations for the observance of Passover. And then as we move to verse 7, we see Israel's officials contributing sacrifices for this observance. Verse 7, Then Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present, lambs and young goats from the flock, to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. And the officials contributed willingly as well to the people, to the priests and to the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, the chief officers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offering 2,600 Passover lambs and 300 bulls. Conaniah also, and Shemaiah, and Nathanel, Nathanel, his brothers, and Hashabiah, and Jael, and Jazabad, the chiefs of the Levites, gave to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 lambs and young goats, and 500 bulls. We see the supply here, both Josiah and his officials willingly contributing an immense amount of personal wealth to encourage the people to observe Passover. It seems to read, as I look at it, that they're really supplying the sacrifices, right? Now, perhaps some other people came and supplied their own sacrifice, but they seem to be saying, we're going to get back into this slowly. And we are going to provide the food. All you need to do to keep Passover this year is to show up and the food's already provided for you. The Passover meal's already provided, provided by the king, provided by these officials, but they as leaders reinstituting, reconstituting this festival are saying, we will take leadership here. And we want you to join us and be part with us. The bowls that are offered, of course, not part of the Passover. We don't know if that's connected to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or if these are just separate sacrifices that are offered. But the point is there is enthusiastic and costly, zealous response. Josiah had lifted the nation on his back and was carrying her back to the path of true worship. He was laying down, as we would say it in our setting, a lot of change. This is a lot of sacrificial animals. It's his own personal wealth. He is saying, I will serve the Lord with zeal, not merely by tearing down somebody else's altars, but by giving of my own wealth to say, this matters. We will serve the Lord. We will put down, I will put down as the king my wealth, and I will bring my officials together to do the same. And so the Passover was celebrated, and clearly there were a lot of people here. The point of Passover was not to kill lambs and waste them. There's even careful stipulations as how not to waste meat. So it indicates that there are people coming from throughout Israel to Jerusalem to worship the Lord again and to eat this Passover meal. The Passover is sacrificed in verse 10. When the service had been prepared for, the priests stood in their place and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command. 
You get the picture there. It's almost like an like a athletic event where all the teams are in a line for the national anthem. They're getting ready for this service. There's a, there's a sense of awe that's developing and building here as they stand there ready to slaughter the animals once again to reinstitute this Passover celebration. And they do so, verse 11. They slaughtered the Passover lamb. Suddenly they went to work. The priests threw the blood that they received from them while the Levites flayed the sacrifices. So the Levites, killing the animals, preparing the, the uh, body for consumption and burning parts of it, consuming parts of it, would collect the blood of the sacrificial animal in a bowl. The bowl was then given to the priests, and the priests, standing between God and the people, took those bowls of blood, and if this would be just pictured for a minute as the altar, they would take those bowls and they would just pitch it against the bottom of the altar. That all that blood being collected and thrown against the altar was a symbol that replaced what? It replaced what the Israelites did on that first Passover night where they smeared the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. Here the blood is being noticed. Here the blood is being celebrated in some sense. The blood pointing to the atoning power of the sacrifices God provided for Israel's righteousness. Something had to die. These lambs that were being sacrificed were for food. They were for celebration. They were to remember the night when Israel left Egypt. But it was also a reminder that someone had to die. That blood had to be shed for the atonement of God's people because the wages of sin is death. And so against the altar, against the place of sacrifice, the blood was pitched. Remembering this point very graphically. Verse 12, And they set aside the burnt offerings that they might distribute them according to the groupings of the fathers' houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the bulls. They followed what Moses had said concerning the sacrifices that were offered. And these peace offerings, these sacrificial offerings consumed, eaten by the people, in a sense to identify with, to celebrate who they were. Verse 13, they roasted the Passover lamb with fire. According to the rule, they boiled the holy offering, offerings in pots, in cauldrons, and in pans, and carried them quickly to all the lay people. And afterward, they prepared for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings and the fat parts until night. So apparently from morning to night, they'd offered so many sacrifices, they had worked so hard, they didn't have time to eat themselves. So the Levites, verse 14, prepared for themselves and for the priests and the sons of Aaron. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place according to the command of David. And Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, the king's seer, and the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not need to depart from their service, 
for their brothers, the Levites, prepared for them. Everybody's covered. Everybody participates. Everybody eventually eats that day. And there were some really exhausted Levites and priests and gatekeepers. Many, many bodies coming into Jerusalem again. It was a beautiful scene in many ways to see God's people return to their roots. And so, verse 16, all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. For those who like to keep careful score like this, I'd take verse 16 with what precedes. You notice there in verse 16, the command of King Josiah And then look up at verse 10, where you have according to the king's command. It's it's helpful often, particularly in the Old Testament, to note those repetitive phrases. There's a section there. They're kind of like bookends that group this thinking, this idea. This is what happened. This is how all was prepared. This is what Israel has done. And summary, verse 16, is that they kept the Passover according to the command of the king. At verse 17, then, we have a larger summary that goes through verse 19 concerning this whole scene. Let's notice this. Verse 17, And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time. He's just said that. He's repeating now, stepping back from it even further. There's the, the conclusion of verse 16 to that particular section. Now the larger section, the people of Israel were present who were present, kept the Passover at that time, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread as well for seven days. And notice this summary, this news report. Verse 18, No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's quite a statement. And it's very clear then that God's people are moving forward. It's a time of national renewal. Spiritual revival seems to be breaking out under Josiah's faithful and courageous leadership. Pagan worship is being put to rest. It's being destroyed and sent running. But the worship of God is being reinstituted. To say that this Passover qualifies as better than any other Passover for some 400 years is high praise. Remember, Assyria is in decline. Egypt and Babylon are taken up right now with fighting each other. And so in this little space, this small nation has a moment of rest where Josiah can reinstitute Passover and God's people can again be brought in line with His Word. Josiah was taking initiative He was thinking, he was working, he was organizing, he was planning so as to announce the glory of the one true and living God who mediates grace to Israel and indeed through Israel to the nations. And at the end of the day, God's people were moving forward by looking backward. 
Josiah was leading them to root their national consciousness in God's sovereign grace that chose them as his people and delivered them from bondage. I mean, what else are we seeing here? Is this merely a festival being revived? Wonderful, nice story, move on. There's much more taking place here. What's taking place is that God is winning with his people the agenda of rooting them in what He has done to save. Helping them to see that where you are today is directly connected to what I have done. And all of this taking place, verse 19, in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept in the year where the Word of God was found. So I think this is what how we are instructed from this text. The only way God's people move forward is by gaining a clear vision of the past. We advance the mission only insofar as we consciously walk ancient paths, tethering our lives and our ministries to what God has done to save His people. The big event is not what we do in our own initiatives. The big event is what God has already done. You know, five years prior to this Passover observance, a renowned prophet began to minister in Israel. You know who he was? His name was Jeremiah. And as he began to minister, he said this early in his prophecy, the sixth chapter. He exhorted Israel this way. It reads a little strangely, but listen carefully. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find there rest for your souls. That's what Josiah was doing. He was finding rest for his souls in this ancient story of redemption. This is what Israel was realizing in that moment. Rest for our souls as God's people is not fundamentally found in trailblazing initiatives as important as they can be. It is found by rooting to the grand story of redemption, to the mighty acts and the glorious promises of God from ancient times. It's the time of year when college students go back to school, and some have had among our midst here in the past or even within recent days, the opportunity, the sorrowful joy of letting a child go off to school. How do you do that as good parents? What do you wish for that child? Do you wish for them to be a perfect cookie cutter of you? to do everything exactly the way you did it, to be unimaginative and taking no initiative? Of course not. You want them to move into this world with vision, with innovation, but you want them to do so always tethered to their roots. Progress, which is wholly disconnected from a child's upbringing does not encourage the heart of loving and engaged parents. 
You must adapt, adjust, move forward, and innovate. But remember who you are. Remember your identity. Now, if that's a pulls on the heartstrings of parents that are here, as it certainly does on mine, can you imagine how our Heavenly Father thinks? Who is a perfect Father, living in absolute righteousness before us, unlike any earthly Father? Who is a God of all wisdom? He says, go out into this world, in a changing world, in different cultures and different environments, go out there and establish churches as you point people to salvation in Christ. That's going to take innovation and development and initiative. But do we imagine that our Father is thrilled when we break the tether from the ancient paths? So, is the point here for us? Is this what our Father wants us to take? That we should begin to celebrate Passover once a year? I don't know that there would be anything wrong with that as such. But is that the point of this text? This is what Josiah did. You do the same. It's a fair question. I don't think the answer is yes. But it certainly is for us to tether our faith to Passover and God's saving purposes so dramatically displayed on that ancient night in Egypt. God was so adamant about Israel observing Passover each year because He wanted to slowly prepare His people for the fulfillment of the salvation paradigm that was established when He delivered Israel from Egypt. He loved Israel. He chose Israel. And I believe that Israel is uniquely in the crosshairs of His purposes and will be. But the deliverance from Egypt, as vital as it was for that nation and for his people, was really pointing forward. We know all too well, and we will find out, Lord willing, in the days ahead, that Josiah's reform was only skin deep. It did not change Israel's heart. God was pointing forward through all of this to a greater son of David who would rule as king of the universe. He would not need to fit in among the power sources on earth. He wouldn't find this little crack between Assyria dropping off and Egypt and Babylon fighting with each other as the two bullies in the class. He would reign throughout the whole universe, unopposed, because He's a King of all power and authority. And that King, our Savior, would fulfill all the symbolism of Passover by dying as God's final sacrificial Lamb. Before He rules as King, He dies as the Lamb. As John said of him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John brings the text of Scripture to close in the final book of Revelation referring to this One who is worshipped throughout eternity as the Lamb that was slain. You remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. 
They were dealing with sin in their midst, with trouble. And in the midst of that, he says, drawing, and what's he, what's he pointing to? Clear, clearly, the festival of un, unleavened bread. When he says, cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul, who further in his writings points us to this One, this King, this Lamb of God, who pays the penalty of sin, who dies as God's sacrificial Lamb, the innocent and righteous dying in the place of sinners. And without a bone broken, this male sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, dies and pays the penalty of our sin, which is death. And now the risen King, defeating death, rules from heaven's throne and mediates a new covenant, inaugurated by His death, in which He receives, in which we receive the distinct blessing of God's law written on our hearts. Not merely the external impositions of the written code and the obedience of festival observance, but now a law written on our hearts, a tenderness toward what God has said to say, this is my life. This Christ has done. This the final Lamb of God has accomplished. This the final High Priest mediates from heaven's throne as King and Priest. And coming Deliverer, the deliverance has been won at the cross. And there is much more to come, but we now taste and see the goodness of the Lord in our day as Gentiles grafted into God's redemptive purposes through this Lamb of God. And so how do we, how do we as those recipients of new covenant promises and Christ's saving grace, how do we tether our oxygen lines to the ancient paths? How do we maintain our roots to what God has done in His saving grace? How do you respond? How do I respond? Ultimately, for us, there is a recurring meal that celebrates under the new covenant, the death and the coming of Christ. It is the Lord's Supper, instituted at Passover on the night of Christ's betrayal. As we celebrate that supper, as we remember there who we are in Christ, as those who have died with Him and have risen with Him, we there identify with who we are in Christ. We identify as the new as a new covenant people, as the te new temple of God, trusting in the Lamb of God who was slain for us, the coming King. How do we, as a people on this side of the cross, identify with what God has done? We do so by the Lord's Supper, and we do so on the Lord's Day. We gather here in this place, week in and week out, to remember that our King has risen. The Lamb who was slain lives. The Lamb who was slain is coming again. 
We identify here as His people. Gathering together as the people that Christ has chosen by His grace and given salvation in the light of the gospel, we gather here to say, He is my Savior. He is our Deliverer. He is the Lamb of God who has rescued us from the punishment that we deserve because of sin. Here we identify with the Lord. How that transforms why we attend the assembly. It's to root myself in the ancient paths of salvation. To gather with God's people. To so identify myself. And I ask of you, personally, pointedly, is your identity rooted in what God has done for you in Christ? Is your identity, the way you see yourself, the way you go about life, is it truly tethered to the death of Christ on the cross and to His resurrection power? Do you see your story being written with a direct tether, a direct oxygen line, a direct connection of rootedness to that past deliverance? If it's truly not, then the issue is not really about Passover. It's really not about even Lord's Supper and going to church. It's about being transformed in your heart by the work that Christ has done to save sinners. If you would say, yes, this is indeed me, then I think we rejoice. We take the Lord's Supper as we are fitted to do so, as God has called us to do so. We take the Lord's Supper and we gather on the Lord's Day to rejoice in this truth and to continue to remember to maintain those roots. But if you say, that's not my identity... I live my life where I'm at right here today and I know what Jesus did, but I don't really see my story as tethered to His. I don't see it as rooted in that as my life. Then you need a new heart. You need to be transformed by God. You need to come to Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And if you're blinded to that necessity, it's only an evidence of your own lostness. But plead with Him for that new heart. Plead with Him for those eyes to see that His Word is our life and come back to this center, this salvation moment in Christ. Today is a day to repent of sin and to believe and trust what Christ has done. Do that today and you will rejoice for the rest of your life, to see your identity as tied up and bound up and indeed united with what Jesus has done on the cross and in His resurrection power and in His coming. Respond today. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that You would do this work in the hearts of those who do not believe, even in the hearts of those who profess belief, perhaps even in the hearts of some who have followed you in believer's baptism, perhaps in the hearts of some who teach the Bible. God, I pray that it would not be external ritual from a dead heart, but that it would be truly a new heart of flesh that is within us, 
beating with the transformed, saving grace of Christ. For those of us who know you, for those of us who know you've changed our hearts, we too come to you in our sin. We too cling to you, but we do so with confidence in the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cling to you as the one who will pass over and spare us in our sin because of what Christ has done. We praise you for this Lamb of God and for the ages in which you have put together our knowledge, our capacity to see through your revealed word who Christ is and what he's done. I pray that every believer in Christ would go from this place today rejoicing to walk the ancient path to be rooted in what you have done and promised in Christ. Guide us to this end that we may respond rightly by your Spirit to your Word, to your people. It is through Jesus we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me and just for a few moments in silence reflect in your own heart upon God's Word. Reflect in prayers, meditation perhaps confession, and let's consider together God's Word for us today. together. 